We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast. Well, surprise, we normally release our episodes every Thursday, but this one is just too exciting and we couldn't wait. Joining the guys in the garage today is a six-time NHL All-Star, a five-time Stanley Cup champion, one of the NHL's top 100 players of all time, and the first black hockey player ever to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, Grant Fuhrer is on the podcast. Grant joins the guys in the garage to talk about his journey through one of the great careers in the history of the NHL. So come on up the driveway, pull up a lawn chair, crack open your favorite cold one, and join us on this surprise episode of Garage Beers. And welcome on in, everybody, to this surprise episode of the Garage Beers podcast. Uh, Oh, my goodness. We could not be more excited uh, to bring you this. Again, we usually release our our podcast every Thursday, and you'll notice this one came out on Monday. Uh, And that's because uh, we got the green light from uh, one of the great all-time athletes, uh, one of the the greatest hockey players that has ever walked this planet. Uh, Grant Fuhrer is going to join us here in just a little bit. But before we get to that, We'll run through our intros and we'll do our Garage Beers of the Week because we're not going to do a surprise episode without Garage Beers of the Week. That can't happen. So it's Garage Beers of the Half Week. But uh, as always, I am Michael Keefe. I am in my garage again. I've got a streak going uh, over here on the west side of Cleveland. And joining me, uh, as always, uh, over on the east side in his garage, Chad Meyer. What's going on tonight, Chad? How excited are you for this? Oh my God, my hands are shaking. I'm, I feel like a kid in a candy store because I am a huge, huge hockey fan. But uh, basketball is not typically my winter sport. I, 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 I've watched hockey since I was a kid. I've been a big fan. And, and, and Grand Fuhrer has got me all giddy. And for being so giddy, I have uh, a, a beer You're out of ahead. Cincinnati. You're jumping ahead. Huh? You jumped ahead. We're not at the Garage Beers of the Week yet, Chad. You just settled down. Look at how giddy you are. Sorry. sorry You're so sorry. giddy. Sorry, I'm just bouncing. I just did You can't garage beer of the week before we get to Joey. Sorry, I just did 14 and a half jumping jacks, okay? <laughs> I, I'm excited. <laughs> well, you just, you just take a pill right there for a minute, and we'll, we'll get back to you. But rejoining us, uh, we know you missed him because we know you love him. 
down in Nashville. He couldn't be with us last uh, on the last, I won't even say last week, but on the last podcast with Cecil Shorts because he was driving from Cleveland back to Nashville. Uh, but uh, rejoining us this week, Joey Whalen. What's going on, Joe? I'm a moving man. I'm, I'm in Nashville right now, but I think by the time this airs, I'm going to be literally back in Cleveland for another three weeks because it's quarantine and there's nothing else to do. So it's oh, uh, great. Yeah. I'm going to come up work uh, from Cleveland for a couple of weeks and uh, bring the pup up and uh, enjoy the rejoin me in the garage. I will. I, I think yes. we need to, uh, I need to redo my setup. I was holding my microphone the last episode, which I'm sure is very, uh, <laughs> you were so loud. I didn't know. <laughs> it's like, it's like you literally was just like speaking to a megaphone. So, Hey, don't worry. We'll uh, we'll fix that. Uh, you live and you learn, you know. Hey, Joe, we're glad to have you back. Yeah, I miss you guys. Yeah. So uh, now, Chad, if it's okay with you, we're gonna get I back can't. to our we're gonna get into our garage beers, our special edition garage beers of the week for this special episode. And because Chad just had to get going before, we're gonna let you kick it off. Chad, what's going on? Uh, Ninety eight, ninety nine. 100 just did 100 push-ups just 100 push-ups in a row guys uh so my garage beer of the week i'm heading back down to cincinnati uh you know with cecil i hit the rheingeist brewery had the wiffle whip beer uh last week and um you know it, it was a tasty beer and and unfortunately the only thing left in my fridge this week is an ipa so i gotta go with it woo, woo. um it, it's from woo, woo. It's from Mad Tree Brewing Company, and it's called the Psycho Psychopathy. Yes, psychopathy. 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 Psychopathy IPA. Uh, it, it's a little piney, but it's not overbearing, so it's it's okay. I will just give this one an okay mark. It's not delicious by any means, but it's okay. Well, it's better than I felt bad about the one you had on the episode with Lodi a couple episodes ago when you said you didn't like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I, w- I would take this over that one, I mean, any day of the week. I, I, I don't know how you take a Miller Lite and throw salt in it and just call it craft beer. You're just like, well, I, I would just rather save the money and buy Miller Lite. <laughs> but, but, yeah, Mad Tree Brewing Company down in Cincinnati. It's pretty good. Well, the psychopathy is a good beer. So you just sit there and enjoy the piney goodness. Well, uh, you know what? I'm going to let you close it, Joe. I'm going to go next. Uh, so I uh, uh, I went topical tonight because our special guest is located in, in the deep south of California. Uh, I went to a brewery that I, I have actually been to uh, in San Diego, uh, more specifically on Coronado Island, and it's Coronado Brewing Company. And I have their Leisure Lagoon. It's just a hazy pale ale. And it is, you know, for a pale ale, it's got a little IPA to it. It's a little bitter. Uh, It's got that good haze to it. It's juicy. And I'm going to tell you, I had a good time at the Coronado Brewing Company over on Coronado Island. Uh, They've got a lot of good beers, and this is one of them, Leisure Lagoon. Really good beer. So thank you, Coronado Brewing Company, your first appearance on the Garage Beers podcast. Joey, what's going on in Nashville tonight? Man, hang I'm on a close. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Oh, well. Every beer you have brought on this podcast so far is juicy. Like, you, you, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing. There's no <laughs> other. You, you always you always say your beers are juicy. Like, yeah, because like, I'm mean? into those hazy, juicy IPAs. But 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 juicy. Like like yeah. I mean, is that like fresh squeezed orange? Like, what is what does that even mean? Sort of. 
okay. sort of, Chad. Yeah, it's it's you know you've got your IPA over there, which is a more traditional IPA, kind of dark color. It's a little more clear. Uh, this which is, is gross, and it has pine needles in it. And it this like, looks like it that looks like, like, a, like orange juice. Tastes like a pine tree air freshener that you put it in like cabs. Like that's why IPAs are so disgusting. You are you're not smart when it comes to IPAs. Other things you're Look relatively you. not smart hey. about, but when it comes to IPAs, you are just you are wrong in every we did, way. We got, we got them from like hating them to like this one is okay. So yeah, we're making things. progress. Yeah, and so yes, Chad, it's juicy. Okay. Get over it. All right. All right? <laughs> Can we get to Joey's Garage Beer of the Week? Biggie Smalls. Like you should just you should just oh. play Biggie Smalls juicy in the background every time you have your garage. <laughs> Top five all time song. Uh, anyway, go ahead, Joey. Well, with that being said, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> I, I moved away from my uh, very fruity uh, palate this week, and for once, I'm going the gluten free route. Ooh. which is like actually good for my body. So I'll not <laughs> hate myself tomorrow. And uh, for that, I'm excited. So um, I'm just going to kick it off with my favorite because uh, if you've ever had a gluten-free beer, you know they're not abundant. Um, unless you live on like the West Coast, uh, they have just a ton out there because that's their thing. Uh, but gluten-free beer is not like totally gluten-free. They say like crafted to remove gluten. So I think it's kind of a bunch of bullshit anyways, but uh, <laughs> I feel pretty good after it. So, you know, it can't be that bad. Anyways, I have New Belgium's uh, gluten-free. Uh, it's called uh, gluttony? Glutony? Glutony. gluttony. Is it gluttony? Gluttony. It's got like the U with the two dots on top of it. The, like the uh, umlaut? Is that, what's that called? An umlaut? I don't know. I, I, I think it sounds pretty good. Hey, Chad, I thought that would be something no you would know. No. Nope. Chad. Chad's not even paying attention anymore. Wait. Say that again. Say that Tell again. us about. No. No. <laughs> he was asking about the U with the little two dots over it. What's that called? Like an? Isn't it called like an umlaut? Oh God, I have no idea. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 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 Well, if it's like, not called that, just don't tell me. Okay. So it's, uh, yeah, totally right, Mike. You were totally <laughs> right. <laughs> it says we brew something hop lovers can rally behind without flavor being held prisoner. And it's like kind of true. Like uh, I would say it's definitely my favorite of the gluten-free options, but uh, just in general, it still tastes like it's just missing like half the beer. Like, oh, no. like, like you had like a colander and the colander caught like all the good beer. And then you got just like the droplets coming out after, and that's what you're drinking right now. But uh, I like it. So, you know, I give it a You know what? You're going to wake up feeling good tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, new Belgium follow us. And like our podcast after that raving review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, killing it. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, guys. Well, those are our uh, – and cheers to you guys on our very first special edition Garage Beers of the Week. All right, and now we are incredibly excited to be joined by uh, uh, somebody that doesn't if, – if you know hockey, this person needs no introduction. Uh, he is – uh, listed as one of the NHL's top 100 players of all time. He is a Hall of Famer. He is a five-time Stanley Cup champion, a six-time NHL All-Star. And now he's going to coach in like a, a three-player hockey league. So that's cool, too. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Grant Fuhr. Grant, welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks for having me. So Grant, uh, hanging out out there in uh, sunny California, enjoying the golf game. Uh, uh, we're going to get into a little bit of, of your story here because, uh, you know, twists and turns and, and, and you turn into just an absolute legend in the game of hockey. And, and all of us are Ohio guys. All of us are actually Cleveland guys. Uh, so we don't, uh, we don't necessarily have a professional hockey team here, but it's, it's still a pretty good hockey town here in Cleveland. And uh, uh, we've got a lot of people excited to, to kind of hear you on the podcast. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about just uh, uh, kind of starting from the beginning, because I just find these stories very cool. Uh, and we had one um, with our last podcast. Uh, we had a, a former NFL football player, Cecil Shorts, who, uh, was a Cleveland guy. Uh, you know, you are, you're known for, for a long career in the NHL, but, but obviously your big years were in Edmonton. But the coolest thing about that is uh, you were born and raised, what, like a half hour outside of Edmonton? Not even. Probably give or take 12 minutes. Right. Yes. Oh. What, Spruce Grove, right? Spruce Grove. We're, I think we're maybe six miles outside the city, seven miles outside the city. So pretty much Edmonton. Yeah, that I mean, for the fact that you—that's your hometown. That's where you're born and raised. Uh, and again, we'll we'll get into how you got to this point. But uh, your jersey is hanging in the rafters in, in Edmonton. You know, twelve, fifteen minutes away from where you grew up. Uh, that's got to be a, just an incredible feeling. You probably get asked about it all the time. But but you know, what what is that feeling like? Just knowing what you were able to do in your hometown. What did that mean to you? You know what? It's, for me, it's pretty special just because I did grow up there and friends, family, my kids are still there. So when they go to hockey games, they can still see it. And I think that's the fun part of it. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you did, you, you worked real hard to get to where you got and, and it's an exciting journey. So let's get into it. Uh, again, so did you grow up? Are you from a hockey family? Uh, I know, it, you know, just reading about you and, and knowing a little bit about you, you grew up uh, playing hockey like pretty much every kid in Canada. Uh, so were, was it a big hockey family that you came from? Uh, you know what? My dad played a little bit, and I had the opportunity to watch him a little, but all my friends growing up played. So that was kind of the neighborhood thing to do where when you weren't at school, you were playing hockey somewhere, whether it be an outdoor rink or whether it happened to be on the street, whatever. We were playing hockey. Yeah, nice. Now, Grant, were you all? Did you always want to be a goalie, or was it? Did, is that something that kind of evolved, or uh, where was? Uh, is that is that something you always wanted to play? Uh, you know what? When the first year I went to play hockey, they were short a goalie, and they were taking <laughs> volunteers. The equipment looked cool; looked like a great idea. You got to stay on the ice the whole time, so I stayed. Decided I should. But that. That story never works like that, Grant. Usually it's like, well, it was me, and it was like, oh, sorry, man, we're short a right fielder that can't catch. And, and it, it never goes. You were like, oh, they were short a goalie, so I just became a Hall of Famer. Well, we weren't very good at the beginning, but you got to play all the time. One, you got to freeze your feet because it was an outdoor rink. And I, I didn't get the memo where that part kicked in, but. You know what? I like the idea that you can play all the time. You can play for two or three teams at that time. So it, it was worth it. So obviously, you know, you, you started uh, 
you know, picking up some traction pretty early uh, and you were playing in the WHL by what, like 17 years old. Uh, the, the cool thing is your, your career arc, you know, Edmonton, uh, Edmonton started in the NHL, what, just a couple of years before you, they drafted you, right? I believe they started in give or take 78, 79, I think was their first year. Yeah. And so, so you get, I got there in 81. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, that draft, that 1981 draft, uh, you know, back then it wasn't, you know, things weren't quite as, I don't want to say national, but you know, nowadays. It wasn't as we, big a production. Yeah. It's not as big a production. And so did you have an idea, you know, was it, was it your hope that Edmonton was going to draft you? Did you want to get out of Edmonton and go somewhere else or, or, you know, or did they give you an inclination that they were going to be taking you in the draft? You know what? I had no idea Edmonton was going to take me. We all, a bunch of us went down to the draft. Kids from around Edmonton that had played junior throughout the league. We all went down to the draft in Montreal and we're kind of sitting around with each other. And I mean, I figured I'd just be happy to be drafted. I didn't really care where. <laughs> but the fact that I got to go to Edmonton and go to Edmonton in the first round made it pretty special. Now let's step back a little bit uh, here, Grant, you know, you were your Western hockey league, hockey league days. You were, um, you were the goalie for the Victoria Cougars. Now just listening to other hockey podcasts alone, I've heard a lot of stories about, about the Western hockey league and, and the OHL and how it was a, a bit of a roughneck league. Was it, was it, was that true up out there in Victoria? Uh, did you ever get in any goalie fights? Were there any, uh, you know, line brawls maybe? I, I just heard a lot of stories about how pretty aggressive those junior hockey, uh, hockey leagues were back in those days. Well, the I actually, when I came into the Western league, it was the first year it kind of calmed down a little bit, but it was still, how would you put it? A man's league. So, <laughs> okay. There, there were some brawls that happened in warm-up. There were brawls in exhibition, brawls throughout the season. It happened. But it was a lot of good hockey, too. So I felt pretty lucky to play in that league at 17. Yeah, nice. nothing like entering a man's league with brawls at all stages at 17 years old. But uh, you, you went in to – A little eye-opener to the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, welcome yeah. to uh, how the rest of your life is going to be. Uh, did you ever get in a goalie on goalie? You know what? We had pretty tough teams in Victoria, so we didn't have to worry about that too much. That was the oh, fun part. But New West still had tough teams. And Ernie Punch McLean was still coaching there, so they had tough teams, which made it exciting. Well, you certainly had success up there. I mean, you combined record of, oh, look, at 78, 21, and 1. So, yeah, I'd say you had a pretty good time up there when you, when you weren't fighting. You looked like you, you won a few <laughs> hockey games up there. Uh, but, um, you know, now Grant, as a goalie, I always found you very unique because you pretty much, you lasted long enough to go, uh, um, across all three kind of, you know, generations, you know, you started off with the, with, with the Jason mask, you, you know, and, and then it eventually evolved, uh, you know, into the, to the cage with the art around there. You know, I, I always wondered how you, you even saw out of those Jason masks and, you know, you went from kind of the stand-up position to evolving into the butterfly. What types of, how, what, were, was those transitions difficult um, to do that? Or what, what style did you like better? Well, you know what it was, is you got to make the optical illusion of being big. I mean, that I'm only five foot nine and a half on a good day. So the optical illusion of looking big means sometimes you stand up, sometimes you go down, sometimes you challenge a lot, sometimes you stay back a little bit. 
So you're always creating a different look for players. And when they're not sure, it makes you look a lot bigger. So it's a matter of adapting and adding something every year you play. All right, so there you go. You, you, you come out of the, the WHL, you get drafted eighth overall by Edmonton, which is, you know, uh, incredible. And, uh, and, and your kind of career arc is, is cool from there. I mean, obviously, you start with, with Andy Moe, right? And, and the two of you uh, kind of form just, uh, uh, just like one of the great hockey goalie tandems ever uh, as – in just your second year, uh, you guys go to the Stanley Cup Finals. So in that system, you know, I think in today's sports, it's so much more about, you know, an individual and you want to play, you know, every game all the time. Uh, but but back then, that team, did you guys just feed off each other? Like, did he kind of help take you under his wing? And, uh, and, and as a part of that tandem, your first year, you made the All-Star team uh, winning 28 games and losing five. So just talk to us about your relationship with Andy Moog to start things off and, and, and uh, kind of how that evolved. Well, you know what? My, my very first year, Andy had just come off the playoff series with Montreal. So going to training camp, I didn't think I'd even be there. So they ended up keeping myself and Ronnie Lowe. So I had Ronnie Lowe as a partner to start with. So to have a veteran guy that had played a bunch in the NHL to kind of ask questions and get comfortable in the league. And then they brought Andy in a little bit later. But having the both of them around forced me to be better. I mean, I think that was the great thing about Edmonton. One, it was all about winning. But two, you were there to make your teammates better. And the group of guys we had all pushed each other to be better because you didn't want to be the weak link. How were they? In Edmonton, how were they able to kind of build that so fast? You know, I, they, were, they were founded in the early 70s, but they, they joined the NHL in 78, 79. And you know, usually you see teams like that that kind of come up and, and, and in any league, uh, I don't want to call them expansion teams or whatnot, but teams that join leagues and they just really struggle to, to kind of acclimate and build a culture. And, and here you've got Edmonton that, you know, by their, by their third, fourth year in the NHL, uh, they're about to go on one of the, you guys went on one of the great runs in the history of any sport. How were they able to build that culture so fast? You know what, Glenn Saylor had a five-year plan for us to keep getting better and better. But what he did was he made it a family atmosphere. So everybody wanted to play for everybody. And I think we all cared enough about each other that you didn't want to let the guy next to you down. And it made all of us better. Not to mention you get a guy wearing 99 that doesn't hurt <laughs> anything either. Another guy that wears 11 that's not so bad. So, one, we had a good group of talent. The other thing was we were all close now you now you just mentioned ninety nine. Um, obviously, you know <laughs> the great one, Wayne Gretzky. I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about it, Grant. You know, your first year, you know, in Edmonton. You know, those first couple. Of, what, what did what did you notice about him? I mean, obviously, you know, the year before. I mean, <laughs> you know, he had just a subpar year for Wayne Gretzky. Only one hundred and four points. <laughs> <laughs> Before they joined the uh, the NHL, but uh, you know, and then 137 in, in 79 and 80. What um, what what did you notice about him that made him that you made him so special? And you just thought, yeah, this is this is, we got a good one here. We got a great thing going. You know, he just saw the game differently than everybody else. But more importantly, he was a great leader. Where he made all the young guys feel comfortable. I mean, he was one of the first people I met in the Oilers organization, and made me feel comfortable from day one. And I think that's the part that people don't know about 
or don't understand that Wayne made all the young guys feel comfortable, whether they needed a place to stay, whether they needed a vehicle, whatever it was, they needed somewhere to go eat. Wayne always made sure the young guys fit in. So was he like that? Was he like that throughout? Like right even as day. he even as he got older and he became the great one and, and you played with him even a little bit later in your career too. Was he like that all the way throughout? All the way through. I coached with him in Phoenix. It was no different. That's see, that's that's incredible. And it's a it's a pretty cool display. I think a lot of people still have their minds on that ESPN documentary about Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, and uh, you know, kind of totally the opposite, right? Uh, he was hard to be around. He was he expected so much and he was difficult to be around and and you know if you can put anybody in the same category as a guy like Michael Jordan, it's, it's a guy like Wayne Gretzky who, you know, he made everybody comfortable. And, and, and uh, I think it's just a, a kind of a cool juxtaposition that, you know, a good leader can come from, from really anywhere. Right. Oh yeah. And we were lucky. We had mess there too. So, I mean, you've got two of the best leaders in sport on the same team. So Gretz led by example, mess led vocally. So we had the best of both worlds. Now, obviously, you know, having a lot of success up there in Edmonton, you know, you always hear about the glue guys in the locker room in Edmonton. You know, Messier and Wayne were, were the leaders. Who was that glue guy? Who was, who was the jokester in the locker room that just, you know, that, that, that just kept it light with the boys? Hey, you know, Dave Semenko was big that way. I mean, yeah. Was he? yeah he, you know what? You got to have your tough guy to make your good players have room to play. But Semenko was a pretty good jokester had a great dry sense of humor and he kept the room light all the time you know I liked I liked Chad's question uh for you before about Wayne Gretzky but I'm gonna ask you the same thing about you when did you know you're an all-star your first year uh when did you know that you know I have got something really special going on here and i did it ever click with you while you were on the ice that you know what I am I am the best goalie out here I I'm the best goalie any team's got. When did that click with you? After I retired. <laughs> you're, once you're playing, you're just trying to get better every year. I mean, I think that's the part of longevity is you have to get better every year so you stay. And Glenn Sather had always told us, he's like, hey, come training camp. We're going to bring 10 goalies in. You've got to be the best to stay. So you were always trying to push yourself to be better than the next guy. So in, uh, in 84 – that's when you kind of took over the number one role, even though you guys were still kind of split in time and you did that for years. Uh, but uh, you guys got back to the Stanley Cup finals and that's when you won the championship. You got hurt in game three of the finals. So you're just you're still real early, early on in your career. You get hurt in the Stanley Cup finals. How hard was that for you? Your very, uh, you know, your, your second Stanley Cup final, but your, your first victory in, in game three, you go down with an injury and, and you can't come back and play in the rest of that season. What did you learn from that experience? One, you shouldn't be out in the corner handling a puck. That wasn't <laughs> very bright. <laughs> Tough way to learn that. But at the same time, it just makes you want to win again. More than anything, it pushes your drive a little bit. So I, we knew we had a good hockey club. And once you win once, you want to win again because you love that feeling. So how important was, you know, just talking about these next several years, uh, again, we, we talked about Andy Bogue a little bit. Uh, and when you look at the numbers and, and just specifically the games played, uh, how important was that to have somebody else that was reliable enough? I, I know I asked about your relationship before, but somebody reliable enough to continue to win games and continue to carry on what you guys were building in Edmonton when you weren't on the ice. 
because when you look at the when you look at the postseason numbers and the postseason games played, it was you in that net. Uh, how important was that for you to just be able to? Did it keep you fresh? I mean, uh, was that you turned into a game machine later on? But was that important for you to stay fresh? You know, when you had Moog on your team and and able to come in and play that much in the playoffs. You know what it is? I think it keeps you focused and pushing forward all the time because you never get a chance to relax. And I think that was the fun part of having Andy around. One, we were good friends, but two, we pushed each other. And I had never been as good as I was without having him there. Now, just a little bit on a, a lighter question here, Grant. I, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we had uh, Cecil Shorts on yesterday. He won a national championship at Mount Union, right? So you get a, a championship ring, okay? And he, But he said his father keeps everything now that would make me very upset are your stanley cup championship rings it, 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 are your stanley cup championship rings in your house are they in like a safe somewhere where, where where do you keep your memorabilia i have one that i wear around once in a while and the rest of them sit in a safety deposit box ah that's where i'd keep them too i mean I, I, you know my dad tries to take it. I'd be like screw you dad I'm keeping all that stuff. I earned that. Yeah, but when you well, want to go to one of those. All my kids have already spoken for rings, so they seem to think <laughs> they're getting one in the near future. I told them I got to get old first, and I have no intentions of ever being old. So, I, oh, right. I, like, I like the premise of putting one on, like, when you need to get a good table somewhere, when you're taking the wife out for a nice date, and you're like, I need to get us a, a, good, a good hookup at one of these Southern California restaurants, throw that Stanley <laughs> Cup ring on. People know you mean business. Oh, down here, they have no idea. That's the fun part. Well, yeah. yeah, that's true. But when you go to signings and that sort of thing, it's always nice to take one along. Everybody wants to see them. So. How exhilarating was it, though, that first win? I mean, did you – I mean, I don't know. I, I just described that feeling because, obviously, that's something a majority of people, you know, on this planet are never going to experience, you know. But you won that first cup. Just, I don't know. Just talk about everything that was going through your, your mind at that point. Well, you know what? There's no greater feeling. I mean, I think that's the fun part of sport is a little kid, you're dreaming of winning a Stanley Cup. So to actually do it, whether you take the time to really enjoy it or not, I know for the first 10 days we enjoyed it a lot. But <laughs> at the same time, having all that fun and such, training camp sneaks up on you really quick the next year. And after that first year, I had shoulder surgery, so it snuck up a lot faster than I planned on. But, you know, I think you enjoy the cups more after you retire because you don't take the time to enjoy them when you're playing because you're so focused on the next year because you want to win another one. Yeah, you, yeah, that is true. You don't have time because it's only what, uh, you know, after the playoffs are done, it's only what, two months until uh, training camp starts, right? Yeah, it pops up real quick. And then they threw in Canada Cup a couple of years. So we had less yeah. than that. Oof. So, okay, now I want to know about you you bring a Stanley Cup championship to Edmonton, where you are from. What is what does that turn into? What is what is the life like in a city like Edmonton, in a country like Canada, where it's just hockey crazy? Edmonton is just a few years into having their NHL team, and you bring home a Stanley Cup. What's life like in Edmonton? Not just well, specifically for you, but, but for all of your teammates. There's no better city to win in. I mean, and part <laughs> of it was, Glenn Sather had told us that you got to be a part of the people. So we spent time with the fans. We spent a lot of time talking to the fans. We went to the bars. We hung out with people. I mean, so we made ourselves basically part of the neighborhood. So it, one, it was special for the fans, but two, 
it made it more special because we were part of the fans almost. Now, now, do you keep up with uh, the Oilers still, Grant? I still see a lot of the guys around and talk to them once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Do you keep up with the current team? Like, do you do watch a lot of hockey now or are you too busy with golf? Oh, hell no. I'm still a diehard hockey fan. So, oh. yeah, I, I still follow the oil. Yeah, I was going to say it because uh, I, I lately, I mean, it's been not, obviously the Browns have been a lot longer, but, you know, I kind of like in Edmonton to, uh, to, to Browns fans is, you know, it's a, it's a city that's just starving for another championship, you know, granted Cleveland didn't win a super bowl, but you know, the Browns are very good right around the time that the, uh, you know, your Oilers were winning Stanley cups. And it's just, I, I feel like, you know, that city is just starving for another winner. And, uh, you know, they look to be on their way with McDavid and Dreitzeidel. Like what are, what are your thoughts on the current state of the Oilers? I like where they're at right now. I mean, they've got a lot of young talent. That's really good but it looks like their chemistry is getting better. I mean, they've had some talent over the past few years, but I'm not sure the chemistry was there. The group that they've got now looks like it's got a better chemistry to it, and it looks like they want to play for each other. All right, so we're going to go back to you for a minute because uh, your, your kind of trajectory changed a little bit uh, in that 87-88 season when Moog left Edmonton because you had gone from like, 44, 42 regular season appearances to that season, you played 75 regular season games. And then, you know, in another championship year, you set the NHL record with 16 wins in the postseason. So what was that season like for you? Were you, did you feel prepared for that workload? Uh, I mean, that season is, I mean, it's, it's one of the most dominant stretches that postseason in the history of the league. I mean, you, I think you lost two games total. Uh, I think we went 16 and two that year, which was good. So, so just talk about that, that first year with, with that big of a workload and, and you know, how how did you feel going through that season? Well, you know what? It was a fun thing. We started with the Canada cup. So for about six of us on the team, training camp started first week, August. So we played all the Canada cup games, then rolled in, played a couple of the exhibition games through the 75 regular season games and then played all the playoff games. So I think if I remember right, I played about 108 or 109 games Ooh. that year. So I think I'm a, my money's worth out of it, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It was fun. Yeah. So you were, you had fun. I mean, obviously hoisting the cup at the end of it makes it all worth it, but I don't know. You're feeling good after you weren't, you weren't, uh, actually I you weren't feeling like you, know you know just got hit by a truck. No, you know what it was? I big fan of Glenn Hall and how much he used to play. So to get an opportunity to see exactly how much I could play and how I would feel was actually fun to do. I mean, I think that was the fun part is you see his record, which is a record that'll never get touched. I think he played 503 in a row or something silly. So the fact that I could get to a hundred games was actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's incredible. So talk about, you mentioned the Canada cup a little bit and and we're going to kind of bounce backwards in your career because uh, the Canada Cup is earlier in your NHL career. Uh, you were making a name for yourself in the NHL, but you also were making a name for yourself with that Canada Cup, right? I mean, uh, there's some there's some uh, outrageous uh, stat lines that you had, and some I, I would guess there's some pretty cool stories that come out of the Canada Cup. Canada Cup when you're talking about uh, uh, it was it was the series against Russia, uh, if I'm if I'm recalling that correctly, where you just are. You were 
that's where you, like you kind of exploded onto the scene with that. Talk about that experience. Well, you know what? It's fun to play for your country. I mean, I got a little bit of a chance in 84 with the Canada Cup and played the first Canada Cup. And then 87 was the big one where we played the Russians in a three-game final that all games were 6-5. We lost oh. the first one 6-5 in overtime. We won the second one 6-5 in double overtime. And then won 6-5 in the last game. So nice defensive struggles, but so yeah. much fun to play with for your country. And talk about that. I mean, are, are we still talking about – uh, you know, that, you know, here, here, when you grow up in the States, obviously you think about Russian hockey, you think about 1980 uh, and just the juggernaut that was Russia hockey. Are we still, you know, are you still going up against, you know, juggernaut players uh, and, and, and how tough were those, was that series against them? It was probably if you took the best players in the NHL, probably the two best teams worldwide at that time. Wow. So you've got, Krutov, Makarov, Larionov, and the Russians. We had Gretz, Lemieux, Dale Howardchuk. Uh, we had a bunch of guys. He took the best talent from the NHL, and the Russians were as good as we were. You know, after after that, uh, uh, after you basically uh, you won your what fourth cup in five years, uh, then things started to get a little interesting in Edmonton. Were you? When did you kind of become aware of? the changes that were coming after uh, that 88 cup that you guys had won? Well, obviously, once they traded Wayne, we all knew at some point our days were numbered there. So it, it threw a little wrench into everybody's thinking of, we all thought we'd get to play together forever. So that kind of threw a little wrinkle into it. And the guys put it all together and ended up winning again in 90, which was a lot of fun. But at the same time, we all knew it was going to come to a crashing end at some point. Why does it seem like, why does it seem, you know, again, I, I, maybe it's just because it's so fresh on my mind. Uh, but why does it seem like these dynasty teams, maybe outside of the Patriots in the NFL that, have, that just were able to do it for 20 years, that these potential dynasty teams that, like you said, think you could play together forever. Again, I'm just coming off that documentary about the Bulls and they just kind of arbitrarily had to end things after that 98 season. Uh, why do you think that happens so much in sports? Is it an ego thing? Is it, you know, is, is it just purely money? It's all about money. I mean, at that point, there was no salary cap, so we all played for what we thought was good money, but nobody knew what the other guy was making. And it was like that throughout the league. So at that time, people were starting to figure out what everybody was making. And with that happening, obviously guys wanted more money, and with guys wanting more money, Pieces have to get moved so they can fit it all under a budget. And dynasties end when the budget gets involved. Now, um, Grant, so you've, you are a five-time Stanley Cup champion, which means you've had five days with the Cup. <laughs> what did you do? What did you do uh, for your day with the Cup in your hometown? See, here's the beauty. We used to travel as a team where you didn't take it for a day. We traveled as a group, oh, and it was before you had a babysitter in the cup. So oh, that was the, okay. that was the fun part. We got to run amok as a group, <laughs> and there was no there was. We created the job for the guy, a keeper of the cup. So we we're in the job creation program. Oh, gotcha. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. You were you weren't like an Ovechkin and just kind of just went 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 around wherever and you know, <laughs> what, oh, probably no. one of the. 
<laughs> probably one of the more epic uh, cup weeks, I would say, that I think <laughs> I've ever seen. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. I, I didn't know you went around as a team back then. That's really interesting to hear. Oh, yeah, it was a lot of fun back then. And the best part is no social media, so you didn't have to worry about what you were doing with it. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's perfect. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to make it a little more serious now because we're coming to your, you know, just kind of following the timeline here. We're coming to kind of the end of the time in Edmonton. And obviously, uh, the end of the uh, your career in Edmonton uh, probably didn't end the way you envisioned it or wanted it to. Uh, there was obviously the well-known suspension. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, you have, um, I think you've come out so much since then. Uh, obviously, you, you had a book, I think it was, what, 2015, your book came out, uh, where you really, you really talked extensively uh, about uh, that suspension and, and, and kind of what was behind it and, and, and what you went through. Uh, and and I, I just have to tell you, you know, just just reading your own words and reading the words of your teammates, uh, you know, have you found it? Um, how, I guess, how did you find the strength to, to come out, to kind of open up about it? And uh, as kind of a follow-up to that, uh, are you still a guy that, that people turn to in the league, even guys today uh, that turn to in the league to, to kind of look up to when, when maybe they are tempted with stuff like that? Uh, you know what? It's one of those things where, yeah, I, I did the crime. I paid for it. But at the same time, you're, you make mistakes. That's part of life. That's part of growing in life. So realizing that, you know what, I can make a mistake, but it's not the mistake that defines your life. It's what you do afterwards. So once we got that figured out, everything was a lot easier. And yeah, I, probably, I still talk to a few guys in the league that may have some issues that are afraid of the league. I mean, I think that's the problem is players are afraid of the league because when I got suspended, it was all about punishment. They didn't really care about anything else. So, yeah, players don't trust the league, don't trust management. So I've had a couple of guys reach out to me. That, so I've talked to them a little bit. and You try and help them out a little. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, it has to be just incredibly difficult. And, and again, uh, just just acknowledging you know what, I, I did what I did and, and I'm, I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to move past it, but it, it's got to be incredibly difficult as a, you know, there you are as, as a multi-time all-star, a, a real superstar in the league where uh, a lot of times regular people kind of forget that they're regular, that you guys are regular people and like you, you can't make a mistake. So, uh, you know, did you, how much pressure did you feel or did you ever feel resentment for like, you know, everybody's just, ganging up on me when everybody else makes mistakes or did you just kind of, you know, kind of grin and bear it and, and get through it and, and, and move on. You know what? You just grin and bear it and you deal with it. And if you're comfortable in your own skin, it doesn't bother you. I think that's the biggest thing is you got to be comfortable in your own skin. And if you follow Twitter, we've got a few comments still to this day where that's the best thing come up with in 30 some years. So Every now and then you have to just remind somebody that guess what? Life's not perfect. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you uh, put a picture with the five rings on there and say, yeah, go sit down. <laughs> go sit down, pal. We haven't done that yet, but we could. Oh, okay, like, you, you you've go. given me an idea. <laughs> I do like the idea though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
Well, listen, I think I think we all talked about this before, but uh, uh, moving away from this topic, uh, just a final thought on that is just uh, uh, I think um, to the fact to the, that to this day you just are are open, and uh, I think it's something that a lot of people can and do look up to, and it's it's commendable how you how you went through it, and not that you need that verification because I'm sure you've heard it from a million people, but uh, uh, you know we just we thank you for sharing that uh, portion before we get back into your playing career, which is going to be uh, a little more fun because you uh, eventually you leave Edmonton uh, and you head over to, for Toronto. And uh, that's got to be weird, right? I mean, going from Edmonton to uh, how do people, how do Canadians, again, we're, we're American here. How do Canadians view Toronto hockey when you're not well, you from know, Toronto? You know what? Growing up as a kid, there was only the three channels on TV. And you either got Toronto or you got Montreal, depending on what side of the country you're on. So being in the West, we got a lot of Toronto games. So when you're five, six, seven years old, all you see is the Leafs. So if I couldn't be an Oiler, the next best choice for me was being a Maple Leaf. And the fact that I managed to be able to go to the Leafs made that first trade a lot easier. Yeah, as long as it wasn't Montreal, right? <laughs> Montreal would have been okay too, but <laughs> as, a, as a little kid, I was a Maple Leaf fan. So it was better to be a Maple Leaf. I'll say you don't, you don't speak French. Huh? It might've been a tough transition. Uh, well, at that time I probably could have learned French right now. I'm probably a little stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you make your, it was a pretty quick stop in Toronto. And then the, your next kind of real cool stories in Buffalo. Buffalo didn't really have much of a winning culture going on by when you got there. Uh, but you really helped turn them around. Uh, and, and not only did you play super well in goal, uh, but, uh, one of the, one of the coolest kind of legacies that I think you were able to leave behind, um, when your career ended was your, was your mentoring of Dominic Kosick. Uh, talk to us about, you know, you weren't an old man at that point. You, you, you hadn't, I, I don't know, you maybe been in the league for maybe 10 years. So you, you were super experienced, uh, about 12 or 13 years in. Yeah. But were you ready to kind of take on that mentorship role and, and, uh, you know, was there, was there any kind of, uh, begrudgingness there? Like, Oh, this young kid's trying to take my job or were you, were you, did you see something special in him and, and, and kind of take on that role? No, that's part of trying to stay in the league a long time. I mean, in Toronto, they drafted Felix Potvin. So as Felix started to mature, then I get shipped to Buffalo and John Muckler was there who was our assistant coach at Edmonton. So to go play for Muck made it a lot easier and, I played against Dom in some international competition. So Canada cup and that again, and I knew how good Dom was. So you try and battle for the job. And as you can see, it's starting to change. Then, you know, you're going to be on the move again, but it was fun to play with Dom. And he's such a good competitor and such a good goalie. Yeah. He's right there. He turns in, he uh, turns into uh, another guy. One of the, one of the great goalies of all time. And, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, you know, if we had a chance to talk to him, I'm sure your name would come up a lot as, as part of, a, you know, uh, a big reason for that early in his career. Uh, another, you know, just kind of bouncing around before we, before we get into kind of some of the really cool stuff at the end of your career. Uh, but one of my favorite things, you're, you're getting towards the end of your career. You're 95, 96, so you're in the last pretty much five years of your career. And you, you play 79 games that year, 76 consecutively. Which is, for an old guy. 
Still a record. That is a record for an NHL goalie. Like, how how did you even do that? How do you play 76 straight games? Was that a goal of yours to do that? No, Mike Keenan was nice enough to just tell me to play. And if you let me play, I'll play every day. I mean, it's something I love to do, something I did as a kid. And it's a mindset. And your body will follow the mind. The mind's the strongest muscle in your body. So it's a mindset more than anything. And I'd love to be on the ice, and I love to compete, and I love to play. So it was fun to try and play every game. What kind of routines? I mean, obviously, that's later in your career where you are a veteran and you do have, you know, the mental prowess to make it through that long of a season, that consecutive playing. But, you know, what kind of, like, routines did you go through to stay sharp uh, and, you know, bounce back from a loss or a couple losses and get right back in uh, between the pipes? You know what? You just – you're comfortable playing, so if you lose a couple, you just play on. But I had a good regime with my trainer. I mean, I worked with Bobby Kersey at that time, which was the Blues that brought him in. So I get a chance to spend time with him. I get spend a lot of time with Ray Borelli, where you just try and maintain your body. If your body feels good, your mind will feel good. Now, you mentioned uh, Mike Keenan. Grant, uh, you know, I've heard some stories about him as well. What was your experience? Uh, we get off to a little bit of a shaky start. I mean, he had a vision of what you should be in, what kind of shape you should be in for training camp. I had a vision of what works for me, which obviously they clashed. We get off to a little bit of a shaky start, but once the regular season got going, everything was fine. I had no issues with him. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say, I've heard uh, other player interviews, and, you know, it's, uh, someone say, you know, it's, uh, some, you, you either love them or you hate them. There was really no one. In- between with him and so it's uh it's nice to hear that he's just kind of left you alone he was like you, you guys figured it out and he just said go play well that was the beauty of it he just let me play so he didn't have to deal with any of the other stuff and hey brett hall and a few of the other guys had some issues with them but it kind of left me to my own measures and it worked great for me so you finish your career you retire in 2000 over 400 wins uh, again, all the numbers that we've talked about, the, the All-Star Games and the Stanley Cups and, uh, uh, you know, all of that. Uh, one of the coolest things that I, I hope everybody that talks to you just gets to appreciate, you know, in, in all of sports, you know, there are pioneers. And uh, a lot of them aren't around to talk to, uh, you know, anymore. I mean, you can't, you can't pick up the phone and call Jackie Robinson. You can't... Uh, you know, you can't pick up the phone and do that. But, you know, even though you weren't the first black player uh, to play in the NHL, which obviously that was Willie O'Ree, uh, you you are the first black player to win a Stanley Cup. You're the first black player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, which that comes, you know, just a, sh- a few short years after you retire. Uh, does that kind of stuff resonate right away with you? Uh, and And... And just kind of talk to us about your experience as a black player in the NHL. I mean, uh, of all the leagues, of all the sports, um, you know, uh, uh, black players, it took a long time for them to get to even where, where black players are now. And it's still, you know, a significant minority of players. Uh, so just talk about your experience as a black player in the NHL in Edmonton. How did it differ in the States? And, uh, and did that resonate, you know, uh, was that always in your mind? Uh, as you were playing, you know, and, and earning all of your awards that you earned? You know, I, I was actually pretty lucky. Growing up in Canada, it wasn't about race relations. It was more about can you play or not play? So I managed to get through my first 10, 11 years without any real issues. 
And the first time I ran into it was after I got traded to Buffalo, where we ran into a little issue at a golf club where they didn't want me to be a member yeah. because I just happened to be wrong race. So it, for me, that was a big eye opener where it still existed. At that point, I thought, not a chance it can still exist. But mm. obviously, I was a little wrong in that direction. And it just makes you realize, I mean, how much that Willie O'Ree, Tony McKegney, Mike Marson, Bill Riley, the guys before me all went through, Val James, I mean, guys like that, they went through the hardest part of it. I kind of got to ride their coattails into where I was at that time. Uh, one of the cool parts about that story in Buffalo was in the end, after that country club denied you, right? Uh, they pretty much got rid of everybody that was on that panel uh, and revamped their uh, their processes. So you caused that whole country club to kind of shift. And then in the end, they said, you know what? We do want you to come in. And you were like, yeah, no, I'm going to go join this other country club, right? If you're not wanted somewhere, there's no sense making a big deal about it. Another golf course that was more than happy to have you as a member, so I moved over there. So, so you brought up those those uh, you know those original you know uh, black players that that you know went through everything. You said you rode their coattails, which is a very humble thing to say, but you know I'm sure true in a lot of ways. Uh, so, what what does that? How much pride does that give you? You get to kind of hold the banner for all of them, you know, as the Stanley Cup champion, as as the first black player in the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, is, is that was that an emotional thing for you? Uh, and, and just how much does that mean to you? That means a ton to me. I mean, obviously, it's a fabulous honor. And I think last year it was really nice to see Willie get in. And Willie yeah. deserved to be in. And the fact that I was there to witness it and be able to hand Willie his plaque was a really special moment. Is that the first time you ever met Willie, or did you have contact with him prior no i've been lucky enough that i've known willie now for oh probably six maybe eight years where cool. i get to see him at different events i've worked different events with him if i want to pick up the phone and call him i can pick up the phone and call him so it's actually been pretty cool there's not a nicer man in the world yeah that's that's really cool and really cool that you were able to give him his plaque uh p.s just special shout out to the hockey hall of fame especially for cleveland area listeners Toronto is like a four and a half to five hour drive away here from Cleveland. Go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. It is the best Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, and I've been to all of them and I like all of them for a lot of reasons. But that Hockey Hall of Fame is the most special feeling walking through Hall of Fame uh, that I've ever experienced. So little shout out to the Hall of Fame. Go, uh, go find Grant Fear's plaque up there uh, and, and some of his memorabilia. I still remember seeing it when I was up there. Uh, just kind of the last question on this topic. How much room for growth does the NHL still have in this area? Well, I still think, that, I still think it's got a lot of room for growth. I mean, obviously it's getting better, but there's still a lot of room for it. I think you, you've still got to expose the game to kids of different races and such. And the more you do that, the more the game's going to grow. So they've still got some room. All right. So let's talk. Let's switch gears here. Uh, that was very cool to hear your thoughts on that. But let's switch gears here. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of current NHL things uh, uh, and some fun questions about your, about your career. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about, you know, we always hear about different eras. We hear about uh, the seventies, the eighties, the sixties today. What's, what do you, what would you say the biggest difference is 
let's take kind of your heyday, the that that entire decade of the '80s, where where you were just dominating in the NHL. What would you say the biggest difference is in today's game in the 2020s versus the 1980s? Well, I, the 80s were was an offensive time where it was all about offense, and I. The fun part is in Edmonton, we tried to create that where it became you attacked all the time. You didn't worry about defense. You just attacked. And it was exciting for fans. The game was still mean and tough, but yet there was still lots of offense. And I think into the 90s, it started to go more into a trap system where the game became more defensive. And you maybe lost some interest because the game, certain games got boring sometimes because of the trap. And what they've done now is they've tried to open the game back up where it got to gets to offensive again. And I think the league's done a good job of that where the players are all bigger, they're faster, and they're trying to create that excitement of offense again. And it's fun to see. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean <laughs> you I mean you talk about the offensive game. It's 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 kind of funny. You see um, back in 1981, I don't even know if you know this, Mike, but, uh, you know, I, I, obviously Grant knows it all too well, but, uh, when, uh, Wayne Gretzky scored 50 goals in 39 games. So yeah, I would say it's, I would say it's a pretty, it was a pretty good offensive time back in that decade. <laughs> Does well, I, I'm the odd goalie. I like offensive hockey. So I'm kind of the odd one <laughs> in that one. Yeah, only when it, only when the scoring is happening by a guy named Wayne Gretzky on the opposite end of the ice yeah. for me, right? That is only one stat that still matters. And that's winning. So you got it. Goals against average save percentage doesn't mean a whole lot if you're not winning, right? Right. So uh, generationally, you know, I think the hockey might be the. I think you can find so many big differences in other sports. In you know, in baseball in the '80s, and you're still kind of dead ball in the '80s, and and uh, in, in, in basketball, I mean, it feels like it was a totally different game back then. In hockey, I feel like, like, I feel like you could take some basketball players, and I don't know if you're a basketball guy, but you could take some basketball players from the 80s, and they'd be good. Like, obviously, we're not talking about, like, the Michael Jordans and Magic Johnsons. That would be good in any era. But players just – there would be so many players that wouldn't be able to play in today's game because it's just played so many – so differently. Uh, this – the current hockey – system seems like I don't know I feel like you could take a lot of players I think I feel like you know is hockey a game that just kind of stays uh, it does change over time but it just kind of stays transferable where guys can could could pretty much play in almost any era I think that's a good way of looking at it I mean it would be fun to drop guys from today's era into back into the 80s take some of the guys in the 80s drop them into today's game because fans like to compare the two well, if you took the whole hooking, the holding, the toughness of the game in the 80s and put it in today's game, there'd be some guys that wouldn't be too interested in playing, where at the same time, you could take some guys that would fight through that, and they'd have a ball played in the 80s because it's a running gun. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Um, so, uh, uh, you are obviously one of the greatest goalies. You obviously played with one of the, if not the greatest player that ever played in Wayne Gretzky. So in your opinion, who is the best goalie of all time, not named Grant Fuhr, and who's the best player of all time, not named Wayne Gretzky? Well, goalie-wise, I've always thought that Terry Sawchuk was the marquee guy. I mean, growing up, when you looked at all the numbers that were established for wins, games played, all that, it was all Terry Sawchuk numbers. 
So those were the numbers that everybody attained to try and get to. So he's number one in my book still. As for players, obviously, I would say Mario Lemieux is probably the best player other than Wayne Gretzky. So. Well, I like to hear that. I, again, I'm a Cleveland guy, but growing up in Cleveland, we're only a couple hours from Pittsburgh, and I don't like anything else about Pittsburgh. But uh, when I was growing up here in Cleveland, if you'll remember the old IHL. Uh, I do. The IHL, their minor league team, the Cleveland Lumberjacks, was the minor league's team of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So uh, that was my era growing up was uh, uh, was Mario Lemieux and Yager and, and, and catching some of these. I still have Marty Straka's stick. Uh, he played in Cleveland for a bit and then went on and had a nice career uh, in the you NHL. Had, you guys had the Barons for a little while, too. We did. We did have the Barons. And, and, and again, Cleveland's an underrated hockey town. Uh, but, uh, but I, it's the only thing from Pittsburgh. I think it's acceptable to like in Cleveland because we have a, a little bit of a link to it. So I appreciate you saying Mario Lemieux there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the Pittsburgh's tie is still pretty debatable, I think. Um, but <laughs> Graham, we're all kind of three of us are all kind of different hockey fans here. You got Michael, who's a big Penguins fan, Chad, who's a Blackhawks fan, um, for some reason or another. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I've been living in Nashville for uh, eight years now, and uh, I really fell in love with the Predators down here. How important do you think it is with, uh, you know, coming from Canada where, you know, it's easy to get involved in the hockey in the States, that's a little more difficult for uh, younger people that want to get involved in hockey and to pick up a stick and, you know, get to like maybe like Southern States, like where you're at or Tennessee, where I'm at. Uh, and it's hot all the time that you can't go outdoor ice skating. Um, you know, what, what is the NHL doing? What do you think they could do better to maybe promote youth hockey across uh, the nation here? Well, the NHL has got a program called the diversity program that travels around and tries to expose the game to kids that wouldn't normally get that opportunity. So I think that's a good step heading in that direction, but mm -hmm. there's still more to do. I mean, obviously, the more kids you get exposed to the game, the more they get a chance to try it, the more they're going to want to play the game. And there's companies now that are bringing out, like there's a company out of Florida called Can Ice, where you don't have to have ice. You can still skate on this stuff, but you can skate on it outdoors when it's 100 degrees outside. Oh, no way. So as more companies like that come out, and the warm cities start to put some sheets in and start to build some rinks, and the kids get a chance to play, the game's going to grow immensely. Yeah, I mean, that'd be great. I know in Nashville, the Predators have a lot of outreach uh, programs. Um, they have a couple of different facilities across town um, that host leagues, youth leagues down here. Um, so, yeah, it's really great to see that things like that are happening. Um, now, kind of on like the current big news of this week is uh, the NHL announced their uh, plan to reopen and resume play. Um, cutting off the regular season, announcing the 2014 playoff. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is that is is the Stanley Cup at the end of this road the same as the Stanley Cups that you've won? Uh, do you think it has a similar meaning to it? Uh, winning a Stanley Cup always has the similar meaning. I mean, it, it's the hardest championship to win in sport. And now that you've had a month and a half, two month layoff, it's not going to get any easier. And the fact that they've added eight more teams to it is going to make it even harder because everybody's going to be equal. Everybody's healthy now. And just because you were a one seed, you're going to get somebody who's played in in those five through 12 matchups 
uh-huh. who's already going to have played around the playoffs. So they're going to be at a higher level than you are with the first couple of games and playoffs. Yeah. Strange things happen. And how, how hard is it for players during this time to condition and stay in shape when they're not at the team facilities and they're just at home using whatever they got before uh, all this stuff happened? You know what? It's going to take them a little bit of time to get back in game shape. The guys stay in really good shape year round now. But the big difference is really good shape and game shape are different. So the right. fact that they're going to skate for probably two or three weeks before they get to training camp, they'll have a two-week training camp. It's still not games. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the big thing is you can get skate as much as you want, but until you get into a game, it's not the same. So those first that first series is going to be kind of helter-skelter because it's the first group of games they're going to go through. Grant, what is it about hockey that makes it I – don't, I don't think there's any other sport where – the the parody is so uh, evident than when you get to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't think there's any other sport where like an eight will take down a one in the Stanley Cup playoffs in a normal year, obviously. And it, it's almost not surprising. Or a seven will take down a two, a six will take down a three. It's almost not surprising. Whereas in most other sports, if, if an eight takes down a one in, in basketball, it's the craziest thing. You never see it. What is it about hockey? Why, why is that something that just consistently seems to happen? Well, it's not so much always the best team that wins. It's the team that's playing the best. And St. Louis last year was a perfect example of it. They were playing for their lives from January on. So going into the playoffs, they were playing the best hockey. And when you catch a team that just happens to be playing their best hockey at that time, it doesn't matter how much talent you have, you can still get beat. Yeah. 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 I mean, hot at the right time. So now Grant, two things before I move on to my next question, you know, uh, the other half of my family is from Chicago. So that's, oh, uh, that's where my black yeah. Hawk fandom <laughs> comes. So I just had to justify it there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and just to give you an idea of how underrated a hockey town Cleveland kind of is, I don't know, you know, obviously I know, you know, you still, watch a lot of you know nhl but we have uh, a current ahl team here the cleveland monsters and they they won the calder cup in 2016 right they did 18 18 000 packed house sold out for that game for a minor a league hockey time. game yeah to, to win to win the calder cup and the monsters actually dominated that series too 16 and 2 so they took a, a lot after the uh, edmonton but uh, <laughs> i'm yeah. just kidding um yeah. Uh, anyway, Grant, moving on. So you are now the director of golf at what? It's Desert Dunes in California down there. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, and, hey, another quick, how, a quick thing. Godwin Evans are going to play in the first round of the playoffs. That's right. Uh-oh. I can't. Believe. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey. Bye bye Blackhawks. Yeah. yeah. Oh hey, hey, listen, listen. Hey, Pete, the reason why they didn't want to go for a three-on-three tournament, you, there's, I read an article about this, is because they're very scared of Patrick Kane, so as you should be, okay? Okay. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's going to be an old-time series, but there's going to be a lot of offense in that one. Yeah, oh, 100%, 100%. But, um, Grant, how did you um, – so, so uh, how did you make your way uh, uh, down there to Southern California and, and found yourself in this position? Well, actually, I came down here about eight years ago to play in a golf tournament. The Canadian Tour used to come down here and have an event in Palm Springs at Desert Dunes. So the guys that had just bought the golf course happened to be from Winnipeg up in Canada. 
and I came down to play in the tournament a couple of years and they got into a little debate with the guy that was running the golf course and asked if I'd help out for a couple of days. And eight years later, I'm still helping out. Oh, that's great. And during this quarantine, it's got to be a lot of fun, huh? I mean, you just have the course to yourself. You're just shooting <laughs> every Actually, single no, day. We had a busy weekend. I think we had 140 players a day. So we had a good weekend. Well, the good news is it's nice and cool out there, a crisp 113 degrees. Uh, yeah, so just a, a good day for guys to nice. get out. The weekend was about 99, so it was a little better. Oh, yeah. That's no a, big deal. You just throw on a light jacket and get out there and play some golf. Uh, yeah. Cleveland, Ohio weather, uh, Grant. So, yeah, we're definitely, you know, it's it's the same. It's comparable, you know. <laughs> uh, we've, we've been out there a couple of times for some charity events. They got the yep. Lopen in Cleveland that I've played in a few times, which was really good. Oh, cool. Tiger, Phil, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady event. Came home and watched part of it at the end. I got the last those seven or eight holes. Yeah, I mean, uh, what a time we're in. That that you was like what? must see TV. It's awesome that they can do that for TV and raise that much money for charity. Still, oh I mean, sure. I think that that's the great thing. And uh, everybody's dying for live sports. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just anything, anything. Just, I, I don't know. We could throw Chad out there on a golf course and put a camera on him and I probably would watch it on TV. And so hey, would I other people. To, I resorted to watching bull riding. So it's nice <laughs> yeah. to have sports back. Oh, Grant, I, Grant, I've been knee deep in ESPN, the Ocho. I guess this is a real <laughs> thing now. Uh, you ESPN, the Ocho on Hulu now, and they have rousing sporting events like the national, oh, excuse me, the world championships of uh, cherry pit spitting. Um, they have a slippery stairs challenge. Yeah, I, I think I'm going insane uh, without sports here. Great. Yeah. So I need, I need something soon. Real athletes. Uh, so um, so uh, a little bit more breaking news, uh, news that's developed a little bit more recently. Uh, that involves you, Grant, is um, this three-ice thing, this three-on-three hockey league uh, that you have been named a coach of. So uh, it seems pretty exciting. It seems like a cool thing. It seems like something similar, uh, you know, uh, basketball had done like a three-on-three league. Uh, so tell us a little bit about uh, about three-ice, about how you got contacted and, and drawn in for that and, uh, and kind of what you think of that. Well, you know what? I love the three ice concept where three on three hockey is some of the most exciting part of hockey. And if you look at the game now, everybody loves the overtime and that's the three on three side of it. So they've decided to create a league out of it. And Craig Patrick, who's the general manager has been involved in the national hockey league for a number of years. And speaking with him, he was like, wondered if I'd be interested in coaching a team in that. And I'm all about offense again, the weird goalie. So I, I love the offense and three on three hockey is a lot of fun. I mean, it's all about speed. It's all about offense, it's all about puck control. So it was something that excites me and it gets me back in the game again. Yeah. So it sounds like there's going to be what, I, I don't know if they've, there's six teams, eight teams, something like that. And are they going to be scattered? Like where are those teams going to be? Uh, you know what? Each, 
the games are Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So each weekend is going to be in a different city. So it's kind of a traveling road show, basically. Oh, cool. But there's eight teams. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, uh, congratulations on being named a coach. Uh, we're just about done here. We're going to wrap up. I, I had one other question that I just thought was fun about hockey. And again, we got to leave Canada out of it because uh, I would imagine the answer would be somewhere in Canada to this question. And so we have to, we have to be American for a minute. Uh, but when you were playing, what was your perception? What did you think the best hockey city was outside of Canada? And what was like the hardest place for you to play outside of Canada? The hardest place to play was probably Washington because of the building. I mean, wow. Navy, Navy blue seats and a black ceiling. So not very much fun for a goalie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a traditionalist. I love playing in Chicago because of the old stadium. I love Boston because of the garden. So I'm lucky enough to play an exhibition game in the Olympia in Detroit. So I loved all the old buildings. Very cool. Right, well, I, I have one last question too, uh, to, to kind of piggyback off of that. So we have the best city uh, that you play. We, you know, we talked about the best goalie, not named Grant Fear, the best player, not named Wayne Gretzky, what was the, um, who was, who had the toughest shot? Like who, who had a shot that you just had so much trouble seeing, didn't know where it was going. Who was, who, who was one of the best scorers that you ever try, had to face? Al McKinnis had the best shot. Wow. Uh, hands down, probably to this day still would have the best shot, but the quickest release was probably Brad Hall. And he could shoot from different angles and it might look like he'd never get a shot away, but he always seemed to got a shot away with a lot of, lot on it so those are probably the two toughest wow very cool well hey grant uh you know we cannot thank you enough for jumping on the garage beers podcast with us here uh tonight uh such a, a privilege to have you on so many great questions that you are uh, so many great answers that you that you had for our questions uh such great insight and uh listen uh best of luck to you out there just spending you know five days a week out on the golf course I know it can be a struggle, uh, but, uh, you know, best of luck with that. And, and, and seriously, best of luck with the, uh, with the uh, three ice uh, hockey league. I hope you, you, you know, that goes off great and, and you have a lot of success there. And, and again, uh, we really, really appreciate it. You're a, you're a legend in the game of hockey and, uh, and thank you so much for joining us. That's my pleasure guys. Have a good night. And special thanks once again, goes out to uh, just a legend in his own right, Grant Fear, just living, living the life down there in Palm Desert, California. He told us he was golfing five times, five days a week, uh, uh, watching a little hockey, getting ready to coach a little hockey. Uh, but uh, uh, just some incredible, his ex yeah, yeah, rough life. His experiences and what he's been through in the National Hockey League, and I know we're a, a Cleveland. Uh, located podcast, but uh, uh, Grant Fear, uh, if you're into hockey at all, uh, you know who Grant Fear is. Uh, I'm getting pictures from buddies today when I'm saying, hey, guess who we're interviewing of Grant Fear bobbleheads that they've got on the wall and Grant Fear like action figures, uh, a Hall of Famer. Uh, one of the he was number 70 on the list of top 100 NHL players. And uh, and we are so grateful that he agreed to come on the Garage Beers podcast with us. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, guys, any kind of closing statements here on the podcast? 
I'm pretty uh, excited. We got to do a hockey episode finally. I think the yes. three of us are all pretty big hockey fans. Uh, and I hope, you know, our listeners out there, you know, obviously no major aside from the monsters. Uh, we don't have an NHL team in Cleveland. Um, so we kind of have love for the sport uh, all over the map. So it's good to kind of bring uh, some hockey love back home to the land. And uh, uh, I'm excited for the season to start back up or for the playoffs, I guess, not the season to start back up. Uh, here in the next couple of months. Hey, it's completely underrated, right? That Cleveland's hockey love. I don't know if yeah. it's still oh. this, but at one point, Cleveland had the largest youth hockey program in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so Cleveland, uh, there's a lot of people that love hockey, hockey in this town. And uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll tune in to listen to Grant Fear. Chad, how are you feeling after that? I mean, I, Oh God, I, 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 I mean, I loved it. The, uh, I don't know. He he was one of the guys, like I said, I, I at the beginning that I watched growing up. Um, yeah, I, I he's a a legend. I I couldn't believe that uh, he said that, that he said yes when I went out. That's how Chad felt on his first date. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're we're only like nine. We're only ten episodes in now. Yeah. And he and 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 I you know a legend said yes to us. And I, I just, I couldn't be more grateful for him uh, to have him on the show and, and, and to get his, you know, an insight into his career and his life. And that was just unbelievable. Well, special thanks again, goes out to Grant Fear, uh, a hockey hall of famer, a five-time Stanley cup champion, six-time all-star and, uh, and one-time uh, garage beers participant which uh, we should send him a plaque and see if we'll hang it on the wall. But, uh, but anyways, uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. We hope you enjoyed our special surprise episode here. Uh, we'll be back again on Thursday, our, our normally scheduled episode uh, coming at you. But uh, uh, thank you very much for tuning into this one again. If you like us, uh, I'm Michael Keefe. Chad Meyer, Joey Whalen. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on, on really any social media. Uh, and find our podcast. Uh, the Garage Beers podcast on Facebook, at The Garage Beers on Twitter. Uh, we love, uh, we've, we've had a lot more interactions going lately, and, and we love interacting. So follow us on that Twitter page. Uh, and then at uh, garage underscore beers underscore pod on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us there as well. So uh, like us, uh, tell your friends about us, subscribe, and, and leave us a rating too. And uh, Uh, Again, we really appreciate you tuning in for this surprise episode. We hope you loved it, and uh, we'll see you again on Thursday. So for all of us here at the Garage Beers Podcast, cheers, everybody. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a home decor overspender. Hi, Joe. I made a breakthrough. I found HomeSense. It's unreal. So many brand name sofas. I bought one. Oh, wow, really? It's okay. The price is so low. Lighting, unexpected. Rugs, handcrafted. Wall art, eclectic. I go back like every week. (gasps) No, it's always different. New unique decor. Same great savings. Every time you go. Field trip. HomeSense. Standout pieces. Outstanding prices.